You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. And I'm going to read down through and including verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, would you just read along with me? Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. They shall eat what is left to you after the hail. And they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. And they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians. As neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they have come on the earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God. Which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. If you remember the Charlton Heston movie, the 1956 epic movie, The Ten Commandments, you know that that tells the story of the exodus, the deliverance of Israel from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. It was interesting when that movie first came out, Cecil B. DeMille, the director, would come out through a curtain and he would address before the movie began. And in that address, he gave credibility to the story of the scriptures as history. Not as speculation, not as fantasy, but as history. And said that they tried to keep the story close as they could to the original story, though they obviously added characters to fill out the movie script. Now, you may be wondering what this might have to do with our families. I've entitled my message, Our Kids, God's Plan, and a Plague of Locusts. Well, I wondered that same thing when I was first assigned this text. I preached this message at our church. We were doing a family series, and our senior pastor said, I'd like you to do something on family and children. And I said, okay, great. I thought perhaps I'd be going from Ephesians. He said, no, I'd, I'd rather like you to do the plague of locusts. It's like, plague of locusts? So what's that have to do with family? He goes, oh, you'll see. You'll see. And so that's what I hope that will happen to you. You're wondering, what does this have 
what does a plague of locusts have to do with family? Then I would say the same thing to you, you'll see. So the people of Egypt have multiplied, they've been taken into cruel slavery, they've cried out to God, God raises up Moses to deliver them, he's the spokesperson to Pharaoh, he says, let my people go, and again we have plague after plague after plague after plague till we get here to the grasshoppers, and there's a few more plagues to go. And we read what we read today. Now let me introduce to you what I believe is an important message that is derived from this text. The answer to what this unfolding drama has to do with God's plan of redemption. This is what we discover. God's redemption of man is a generational plan. God is a God of the generations. And in this book, in this plague, in this larger story, he's given us a story to tell our children. Now, there are three things that I want to present to you from this passage that I've learned in my study. And the first one is that God wrote this story. He created this unfolding drama for our children. Look back to verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson. Do you see the connection? God doesn't have in mind simply delivering Egypt, but he has in mind this idea of generations that are going to benefit from this story. In the hearing of your son, and a more literal translation, and your son's son. The whole Exodus account is designed by God to reach the generations that he foresees and already loves. He already knows them and is planning to reach them. God is ever looking forward. He's ever looking down through the corridor of time toward the future generations that Israel represented. It is though he said to Moses, I'm going to save you so that you will know that I am God. But I'm going to do it in such a way, the most spectacular way, for the generations that will come after you. You, Moses, are going to have a redemption story that is unmatched in all the stories that have ever been. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he won't let you go, so that I can display my deliverance for your children and your grandchildren. In fact, the wording suggests not just those two future generations, but into the generations and beyond. Your children and your son's sons, which includes daughters and the progeny left after them. You see, telling this story is a part of God's plan. And we see that in the text. That you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson. Tell them the story. All of history has been orchestrated by God to give us a story to tell our children. So that when they ask, why do we go to church? Why do we read the Bible? 
Why don't we do what other families do and play baseball on Sundays or whatever else they ask? You have a story to tell. Now, it's possible to teach our children math, science, and history, but miss the central role, the story of this gospel story and how it affects their lives. What good would it do ultimately for our children if they became successful in this life, storing up great treasures, but they did not know God? They did not know the Lord. Now, when we tell them this story... We connect with them, we connect them to a God who saw them before they were ever born. We connect them to a God who wrote this magnificent story for them, with them in mind. Now, the story doesn't begin with the plagues, doesn't begin with Moses. It goes all the way back to the fall. And God, after the fall, begins to tell this story gives Eve a promise that one will come, a son, who will crush the head of the serpent. And thus began the story the parents would tell. Oh, my sons and my daughters, one day the Lord will send a son and he will crush the head of the serpent. This is only a continuation of that story. And we see it here in the Exodus account most wonderfully displayed in the last plague. God gives in the deliverance from the angel of death the most graphic picture of how he's going to ultimately deliver mankind from sin and death. How the one who will come to crush the head of the serpent. We've already heard it described as We took communion, but if they put the blood of the lamb on the doorframe, the angel of death would pass over. And when Jesus came, John announces him, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He could have said it like this, Behold, he is the lamb. If you put his blood upon the doorframe and lintel of your heart, death will pass over you. He could have said it like that. God wrote this story and then memorialized it in the Passover. The Passover would be forever intrinsically connected to the grasshoppers because it's a part of the story that he said here, In Exodus chapter 10, that you will tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson. And he has us telling them this story. He wrote this story for their salvation. In verse 2, you will tell them that they may know, that you may know that I am the Lord. Imagine God is speaking these words over your son and daughter. I wrote this story of redemption for your daughter, for Mary, for Jennifer, for your son, for John, and for James. You ever wonder, like, why why did God do this? I mean, all these plagues, 
I mean, he's already proven. Get a couple trumpets and a few torches hidden in a pot, break them, blow the trumpets, and the enemy will slay themselves and just disperse. He didn't need all of this. He could have said, Moses, look, Pharaoh won't let him go. Give him one warning and then, boom. I'll have the Egyptians go into confusion and you'll... No. I am writing such a magnificent story that you'll be able to tell your children. And they will be amazed at who I am. When parents ask me, what can I do to ensure that I'm doing a good job with my children? I simply say, tell them the story. Tell your kids the story again and again. Ted Tripp said, people frequently ask if I expected my children to become believers. I usually reply that the gospel is powerful and attractive. It uniquely meets the the needs of fallen humanity. Therefore, I expected that God's word would be the power of God to salvation for my children. But that expectation was based on the power of the gospel and its suitability to human need, not on a correct formula for producing children who believe. Oh, we as parents so desperately want our kids to be saved. What can we do? Tell them the story. The story that clearly the Bible says is the power of God for their salvation. Now, when I first uh, was engaged to my wife, I learned about her grandfather. Her grandfather was the patriarch of the family. The most amazing fact about him was that he was 104 years old. And he they believed, single-handedly prayed in all of his children and shared the story that transformed their lives. And he wrote letters to all of the children. And I got a chance to meet him. When I got to his house, he was laying in bed. His mind was as sharp as ever, though his body was failing. And after being introduced, what did he do for Lois and I? He said this, Always make room in your house for Jesus. Just like Mary and Martha did when Jesus came to town, they made room for him in their home. And then he began to share with me the story. Now, when I was going through some of my wife's things and one of those clean the attic out deals where you open up boxes that you haven't opened up for a long time, I found a whole pack of letters that she had saved that her grandfather had sent. And I want to read to you one short excerpt from a letter. Dear Lois, peace be unto you. This is your grandpa, an old man, 94 years old, time to go home. Now, he didn't realize he had 10 more years left. But I have 13 grandchildren, and the question comes to me, how many of them will follow in my trail? How many will I meet at the judgment seat where we will all meet someday? To how many will I hear him say, come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world? My prayer is, Lord, please bring all my children and grandchildren into, in with me to glory. I would like to meet them all there. In Jim's Berg, in Jim Berg's book, changed into his image. He dedicated the book to his three daughters, saying the book was a, quote, travel brochure for them, enticing them to fellowship with God and to behold for themselves the breathtaking vistas of the glories in Jesus Christ. He said this, I have told you before that your mother and I will probably not be able to pass on to you any kind of earthly inheritance. 
We can pass on to you a passion for God, however. We will have given you something more valuable than silver, gold, or rubies, and more satisfying than anything a mortal can experience. Your mother and I can honestly say that we have no greater joy than to hear that our children walk in the truth. May God use all of these to draw you to a greater love and devotion to our matchless Savior, Jesus Christ. You truly are our beloved daughters in who we are well pleased. What did he fill the book with? He filled the book with the gospel story. That's ultimately the reason why I wrote the books that I've written. That I might carry on this wonderful tradition in helping parents to tell the story. However you choose to do it, though, tell them the story. The second thing that I want to draw out of this text is that we have an enemy. And our children are in danger from the enemy. God is not the only one who has an interest in the future of our children. So does the enemy. He did then and he does now. Now while God was working to deliver Israel, Pharaoh was opposing the every move. And who does he refuse to let go? Who did he want to hold on to? The children. After hearing from his advisors who said, let the men go, Pharaoh asked Moses in verse 8, but which ones are to go? Moses replies, we're going to go with our young and our old. We'll go with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Here's Pharaoh's response. The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you're asking. And he drives them out. But the children, no, the children stay with me. Now, Pharaoh wasn't offering Moses a greeting of peace. Oh, the Lord be with you. He was mocking God. What does he say? The men can go, but the little ones, they stay behind. Commenting on this passage, Matthew Henry said, Satan does all he can to hinder those that serve God themselves from bringing their children to serve him. He is a sworn enemy to early piety. Whatever would put us from engaging our children in God's service, we have reason to suspect Satan is in it. Satan knows, destroy the future generations. Take them captive and you've destroyed God's plan. Because God is a God of generations and his plan is a generational plan. The plan of the enemy hasn't changed. He wants our children captive under the slavery of Egypt, which represents the enticement and lure of the world. And our sinful hearts are so willing. We even want to go back to Egypt ourselves. The things of the world that can seem like they are good can draw us away from God. What distracted Israelites once they got beyond the Red Sea that they wanted to go back for? food, garlic. They were sick of what God was giving them. And the world looked so inviting. Nothing that they desired was ultimately sinful. The problem was it was meant to replace God. And that's what's happening in our world today. How many good things distract us? If I ask myself, why, Dad, are you not doing devotions? Why, Marty? Well, the, our day is so busy. We've got to do this and we've got to do that. We've got to do the other thing. We can't certainly neglect that and the other thing. 
Before you know it, there's no time for God. We need to be like Moses. And look the world square in the face. And all the other property, all the other priorities. And this is what we say. We will not go without our children. Period. We're going to take them along. We're going to tell them the story. No, you cannot have them, enemy. Now, you've got to expect opposition. Anytime I did family devotions, I felt like all of Hades was opposing me. There I am. I've got my devotional book, and I'm ready to go after dinner. And it's right then, in that moment, that it seems like the kids begin to start to just mess around, not pay attention, be distracted, fight among each other. And I feel the anger rising up, and they won't stop me doing devotions! Oh, I don't think I was supposed to say it like that. I could reach for the Bible, or I could do a hundred other things. And in that moment, a hundred other things can seem like they're such a better idea. And you know what I'm talking about. You've been there before. You understand the temptations. We need to open up our lives to our children. Take them along for the journey. Share with your kids what God is doing. When you read a part of the story and it affects you, tell them what affected you. Take them along. Pray for your children. Lift them up. Live life with them. Let them know when a message on Sunday affects you. When you're going home from church on Sunday... And you've been affected by the message. You've got this drive between now and your home to share with them the story. And don't let the enemy snatch them up and take them away without a fight. The third point, why do we want to do this? That is because our children play a vital role in God's future plan of redemption. You see, God's plan will not be derailed by the enemy. Before I move on, let's read a little bit more of the story in verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, after Pharaoh sends them out, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail is left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up all over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before or never will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field. Through all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh calls and asks Moses, repenting, but not really repenting, for there will be more plagues to come before he relents. God says, Oh no. No, I don't even have to allow Moses' resolve to decide this one. 
You won't let the children go? Watch the grasshoppers come. Because those kids are a vital part of my plan. God is not going to leave them behind. So if you're wondering, like I did when you started this message, what do the locusts have to do with our children in God's plan now? Now you know. And here's what's so amazing. Moses is trying to be faithful. He's being obedient. You know the story. You know he lacks faith. He lacks confidence. Sometimes he sheepishly shares the message. But here's the most amazing point. It is God who does the delivering. And the same is true of our children's lives, isn't it? Paul said it like this. We sow, we water, but that's nothing compared to God who gives the increase. God causes the message that we sow into their lives to sprout and grow and spring up for their deliverance. Oh, moms and dads, Do you see it? Grandparents, do you see it? Our role is a simple one. We share the story. We speak the words that God has said we should speak. And then we stand back. It's God who brought the locusts. Moses shared the words. He had no power over the locusts, but God did. We have no power to change their hearts. But God does. God is the deliverer. God in his mighty power delivers his people. Because he's got the future generations in mind. This next generation of kids who are going to be carried on the shoulders of the parents who crossed the Red Sea... They were the ones with Joshua and Caleb who were going to enter the promised land. The parents grumbled and complained. Their whole generation died. God's plan was to take those little kids, the kids that Pharaoh said, no, we're going to leave them behind. God says, no, you don't understand. I will not allow the line of succession of Adam to be broken before, because my son will be born, and he will be born through this generation that is going to cross the Red Sea on the backs of their parents. So the mission is going to be continued with them and through them after these sinful folks are long gone. And so is it true with us. Unless the Lord returns, our kids will be the ones God uses to share the gospel to the future generations after we have passed. God could see in his mind little Samuel, who God called. He was already in the mind of God when the locusts came. Young David, too young to be brought before Samuel. To be judged whether or not he was king. He stayed back. God saw young David. A man after his own heart. He knew he would be coming when he sent the locusts. He knew Jesus would be born as a baby in a manger. Grow up. Die upon the cross. 
He knew Timothy, to whom Paul said, don't let, let them look down upon your youth, would be Paul's protege and help in the work of the gospel when he sent the locusts. And he knew that your son and your daughter would need to hear this story, see God's deliverance when he sent the locusts. The continuation of the church depends upon the next generation. We can't survive as a church if we don't take the next generation along with us. I shared this in the seminar, and I want to share it with you. Some of you, you may be thinking about your life, particularly dads, I think can fall under a condemnation of failure. Think about whether or not you've been doing a good job sharing the story with your kids. Proverbs tells us that the righteous man falls down seven times, but he gets up again. Interesting. The mark of a righteous man is not whether or not he falls, but whether or not he gets up. So if you're a parent or a grandparent and you haven't been faithful to share the story, you've, you've fallen down on the job and the enemy is lying to you. He's trying to bring an interruption to the generations knowing the truth in your family. You're no good. You can't do this. Devotions, you might as well just, you're wasting your time. He wants to keep you down. What do you need to do? You need to rise up and give it another try. Failure only marks your life if you're the parent or the grandparent who has fallen and refuses to get up and try again. How many times can I fall, Marty, and still be faithful? I don't think that seven is a limit. I think seven just means continuously. The righteous man falls down again and again and again and again and again. But he gets up again. We will not go without our children. Let that be our plea. And let that be the message that gives us strength to get up off the ground and do what? Tell them the story. About um, oh, two years ago, we had a family reunion on my wife's side of the family. And it was an interesting gathering because her grandfather had since passed. All of her brothers and sisters served the Lord. And all of the children that were born while Grandpa Roush was alive, served the Lord. But not uh, all of the great-grandchildren did. We assembled this reunion of 42, and it was the desire of my wife's brothers and sisters that they would share the story of their grandfather with everyone present. 
knowing unbelievers were present, kids who had fallen away from the Lord. And to do it, Lois's brother Mark brought out a letter that he had received from her grandfather and he had saved. And he read it along with the story of the grandfather's legacy to the children. I'm going to read to you his letter. He said, My dear Sonny Mark, it may be that your grandpa will never see you here on earth, for my time is up, and the Lord may call me any time home to glory. But you have yet a whole life before you. God gave it to you for a purpose. That purpose is this, that we earthly creatures may prepare ourselves for a better place. The preparation is first repentance to God and then faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For without repentance, there is no forgiveness and without forgiveness, no heaven. And the way is to confess that you are a sinner and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. I sat there and I was listening. I thought, there he is. Go, Grandpa. Even in your death, you're telling them the story. Oh, that my legacy would be like his, I thought. You know, it's said of him that people wanted to be with him from the time he got up to the time he went to bed because of how he testified to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, nobody wants to be with me that whole day long. But I want to be like that. And then in the letter, he wrote out by hand the lyrics to a Samuel O'Malley Cuff hymn, Clough hymn written in 1860. And this is what I want to end with. I have a Savior. He's pleading in glory. A dear loving Savior though earth friends be few. And now he is watching in tenderness o'er me. And oh, that my Savior were your Savior too. For you I'm praying. For you I'm praying. For you I'm praying. I'm praying for you. I have a Father. To me he has given a hope for eternity, blessed and true. And soon he will call me to meet him in heaven. But oh, that he'd let me bring you with me too. For you I am praying. For you I am praying. For you I am praying. I am praying for you. When he has found you, tell others the story that my loving Savior is your Savior too. Then pray that your Savior may bring them to glory. And prayer will be answered. T'was answered for you. For you I am praying. For you I am praying. For you I am praying. I'm praying for you. He understood. I don't just want you, my grandchildren, to come to faith. Once you do, here's what I want. I want you to tell others the story that they might be brought into the kingdom. So, why the plague of locusts? To give us a story to tell. 
a story of God's redemption, his salvation, his mighty power, and through the Passover, a picture of how he was ultimately going to do it through his son, shedding his blood on the cross, that that blood, the blood of the lamb, would cover our sins, that we might be delivered through our Red Sea of sin and death and come to the other side, the promised land of heaven, where one day we will all who trust in his name be with him in glory. Let me pray.